part of my sermon prep was trying to find a couple videos that would fit with what we're doing here today, and uh, this was this was mild. I mean, I, last night as as I was getting back from uh, being with the elders, I, I did a lot of sermon prep, and my sermon prep consisted, uh, yes, of, of doing some work in the scriptures, uh, but it consisted of uh, watching video after video after video, and and just sort of weeping for uh, what the heart of God is for those who don't know Him, and and, uh, and also I went home and uh, our own little foster baby was sort of in her crib, and I thought, you know, she may be sleeping. I'm going to get her. It doesn't matter. So I was uh, in there, and my sermon prep last night consisted of that. So sorry, life group leaders. There are not good questions today for you, so you're just going to have to make them up from what I'm talking about today. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 68. Great couple verses here. Psalm 68, 4 through 6. It says, Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, among us we have many, many needs. We could spend hours upon hours here sharing uh, our hearts about our needs in numerous ways. There are many among us, Lord, who uh, struggle with and have struggled with uh, cancer and, and real physical suffering. We know, Lord, that there are many among us who struggle with uh, the tyranny of, of busyness, and a manic, busy pace that, uh, that sucks the margin from our lives to, to enjoy what you've given us. We know that there are people among us, Lord, whose marriages are struggling. We know that there are those among us, Lord, who have uh, all manner of, of addiction. Father, we live in a broken and messed up world made thus because of the sin in which we participate. So Lord, we come to you with open hands, with open hearts, knowing that you alone are the defender of the fatherless and the widow, that you alone are able to reach into our mess and to make us whole in a way which brings us back to relationship with you and makes us productive for the sake of your kingdom and your glory, Lord. Father, that's our, that's our hope, that's our prayer. We are gathered here today because wherever we are in a relationship with you, whether we have one or we do not, Lord, we know the desperation of not having it together. And so we come to you today asking that you would instruct us and teach us that your word would pierce us, that our time together would be fruitful toward the end of us as the body of believers here, becoming who you made us to be, Lord. We humble ourselves under the authority of your word and ask that you would be the teacher through the Holy Spirit today so that we would leave this place changed with a greater sense of what you have for us and what you're calling us to as a body of believers. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. I want you to write this word down in your study notes. I want you to think about this word. 
just a second here as we get into uh, a few texts. What we're going to do today is a little different than normal. We, we like to go through one passage and sort of unpack it uh, and, and then apply lots of other scriptures to it and, and, uh, and, and let the scriptures illustrate itself. What we're going to do today is called sort of a topical study. And we're going to run through about six different uh, verses that expose for us the heart of God. But before, before we get there, I want you to work, write down this word in your study notes there on, uh, on the bulletin. This word I want you to write down and think about is unsettled. Unsettled. U-N-S-E-T-T-L-E-D. Unsettled. What does that word connote for you? What kind of thoughts or images or, or perhaps even memories does that connote, does that bring up for you, that word unsettled? <clears throat> for me, I've lived a relatively settled existence, frankly. I'm regular old mom and apple pie, uh, good grades kind of a guy growing up. And my family was very secure and very safe place. But, but for the most part, I, I had this sense in me of being unsettled. Because a, as, a, as a kid, as the kid of a professor and a, and a preacher, uh, we sort of moved a lot. And we were in Michigan, we were in Johnson City, we were in California, we were in Chicago, we were in Cincinnati, we were back in Johnson City now. I mean, so by the time I was in high school, I had experienced like, I don't remember the exact number, but something like eight to ten different schools by the time I got into high school. So I had this sort of sense of being unsettled, and I started to realize that, started to realize that one time with a little incident in high school, which on the face of it was just not a big deal at all, but as I experienced it and, 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 and thought about it later, I started to realize that it sort of spoke to me about feeling a bit unsettled about having sort of moved around and 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 what happened is i'm in the line at kroger uh in cincinnati as a kid in high school and uh and the person in front of me clearly knew the the person at the cash register this was this was before it all beeped by the way i had to punch in numbers and so there was somebody who was uh there at the cash register taking care of the person in front of me and they obviously knew each other and carried on this little 30-second conversation, nothing fancy, but it was like, hey, how you doing, Mark? And, and he said, pretty good, Betty, how are you? And they had this little conversation for 30 seconds, and they clearly knew one another's families. They clearly came from the same area. They obviously had known each other for many years because they were asking about their families and going back and forth. And <laughs> I stood there at first thinking, hello, I'm an impatient high schooler. I got to go to soccer practice. I, I don't know what I was doing. But I have to get going, and I felt this sense of impatience. But as I thought about it later on, I remember feeling a little bit, even there in Kroger as I was checking out, feeling unsettled, feeling like, I wish I, wish I had that. I wish, I wish I had that sense of, like, place and, and belonging. So, like, this is, this is where I live. I remember as a high schooler starting to unpack that and in college got a sense about feeling unsettled and, and, and I struggled with that sense of, of place. You ever experienced that? You ever felt that kind of unsettled feeling about your life and your place and where you are? We've all experienced some of that of course. Some of us a lot more than others frankly. Maybe you have felt like a foreigner or an alien at work. Maybe you've had job issues where 
you know, suddenly you don't have security in the paycheck and you don't know where the grocers are coming from. That's an unsettling feeling. Maybe in your own home, you have felt the distance in your family. Maybe you've experienced divorce. Maybe you've lost a child. There's a whole huge range of things that can make us feel uh, unsettled. And so we've all, after a certain period in our lives, felt that. Felt that loss of that sense of place and belonging and being known. Because really, that's what we're all looking for. God created us as beings who need community. We are made to reflect God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have perfect community with one another. And so we, we know that longing. We sense that feeling. But at the same time, we've experienced the opposite. we felt unsettled. We don't have that sense of place. If you've experienced that, if you know that feeling of, of longing for home, but never quite getting there, then you know what it's like to feel like an orphan. Some of you have literally been without a mother or a father. That sense of longing, that lack of a place and belonging is what it's like to feel like an orphan. And the facts of the matter, as we were reminded about by Steve Dewar last week, the facts of the matter about the situation about orphans in our world is something that is a crushing weight of statistics and numbers. This is not just something that is experienced by us in our longing for a place and a home. This is something that is experienced in very literal, literal, tangible kinds of ways by millions of, especially kids, all over the world. Last week, Steve talked about exposing the darkness, and he ran through some st statistics I'm going to tell you about here, just so you get this fresh in your mind. I want you to feel some of the weight of, of, of what is going on for global orphan care. There are over 143 million orphans in the world. That number is going up. 143 million orphans in the world. Almost half of the population of our country of orphans in the world. 30 million orphans have lost a mother. Almost 15 million have lost a father. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 13 million have lost both parents. And 100 million are without a father. For most of the world, uh, there are numerous causes, AIDS. There's a baby that dies of, uh, I'm sorry, there's a parent who dies of AIDS and leaves an orphaned uh, son or daughter every 14 seconds in the world. AIDS the, the problem of drugs in our world, uh, war, and then also slavery and, and sex trafficking. Uh, there are more slaves today than at any time in the world, in the history of the world. And most of those who are going into slavery are young, orphaned children. The weight of those statistics is crushing. And it flies in the face of my little feelings of loneliness at Kroger. You know, that, that was real. I don't want to discount that. But I, but I compare that to what it's like to not know a mom or a dad, and I think to myself, man, I, I've been blessed beyond what I could possibly ever imagine. Closer to home in the U.S., there are over 500,000 children in the foster care system today. 
almost 125,000 of those are available for adoption today. In Tennessee, there are over 9,000 children in the foster care system. 1,000 are available in our own state for adoption today. In the last five years of Tennessee, in the uh, Department of Children's Services, 1,600 children have come into care simply because of their parents manufacturing meth. 1,600. That, my friends, is darkness. That, 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 that's a, a situation that's going on that you can blind yourselves to if you'd like to, but if you want to open your eyes and see the world as God sees it, see the world and the needs of people as God sees it, then open your eyes to the reality of what's going on around us, even in our own backyard. And while we're at it, let's do the math. If nationally there are 500,000 kids available in foster care, 125,000 are available to be adopted today. Conservative estimates are about 300,000 as far as the number of churches, which means that every two churches could adopt one child, and of all the available foster children today, that would be taken care of. One child. Two churches would take care of every single available foster child that is okay for adoption now. Those numbers themselves are unsettling. And if you've experienced any of that feeling of being unsettled, then you know you have to do something. You know you have to do something. And you may not be called to adopt a child. You may not be called to do something as radical as that. But you are called scripturally. If you know the mind and heart of God, you are called to somehow participate in His cause of taking care of the fatherless in our world. So let's look at a few passages. I just want to run through them. We don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to run through some passages to expose the heart of God to you. We're going to make a, a point at the end of each passage, and I'll sort of show that along the way. We'll start where we started there, Psalm 68. Psalm 68, 4 to 6. Super cool verse. I want to read this again. Just follow along, if you would, please. It says, Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before him. Now, they're singing praises for a reason. The next couple verses show us the reason why he's singing praises. And are sort of hinted that, in fact, at the end of, I'm sorry, in the middle of verse 4. See, it says, sing to God, sing praises to a name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. He rides through dry and arid land where there is no water, where there is not life, where things are desolate where people do not have a home. You don't go to the desert to make your home. That's where God rides. That's where he's looking for people. That's the heart of God hinted to us here in Psalm 68. Keep on reading. Verse 5 says, He's the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. That's sort of his, his title here. He's father of the fatherless and protector of widows. And that's who he is in his holy habitation says this, the next verse is super cool. God settles the solitary in a home. I want you to underline that part or, or circle that or 
put a little star there. God settles the solitary in a home. The uh, New Living Translation said God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. Remember, we're exposing the heart of God. We're looking in a few verses here about what is going on as far as God's motivation. The NIV says God sets the lonely in families. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. It says he settles the solitary in a home. He takes those who are unsettled. He's going through the deserts looking for anyone who will come with him and live with him because remember what we talked about in Genesis a few years ago, I guess, a couple of years ago now. God is seeking to make for himself a place where he can be father. He's seeking to make a family where he can be father. And so your spiritual family is with God as father. And so he takes those who are unsettled, and verse 6, he settles them. He settles them. When you think about the trauma, you've experienced the suffering in your life, the, the frustrations, the the many, many ways that the sin of the world and yourself and others has affected you. When you think of how that makes you feel, <laughs> the solution to that is to be settled, is to be at rest, is to have perfect shalom peace with God. Being unsettled is really a function of having experienced sin, of having experienced the brokenness of our world. That's why when I speak about being lonely or unsettled, you all know exactly what I mean. And the rest we seek is being settled. Settled in a home where he is father. So what we're looking at here is that God's heart, here's the point we're making here from Psalm 68, God's heart is to prepare a home for the orphan. God's heart is to prepare a home for the orphan. Jesus says this when he goes away and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, I'm coming back and I'm going to take you to that home, that place in heaven, in eternity. It's that same kind of concept. God's heart is to prepare a home for the orphan. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18. We'll put this on the screen here for you. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 18. We're going to have two Deuteronomy verses here. Deuteronomy 10 and also Deuteronomy 14 if you want to uh, look those up. Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 14. For chapter 10, we're looking at verses 17 and 18 here. This is right on the heels of the people of God rebelling against him uh, and, and beginning to, to worship the idol of the golden calf. And it says this, verse 17, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. And it says this, underline this part here, He executes justice. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Those two are put together in Scripture a whole bunch of times. Orphans are talked about 40 times in Scripture, and a whole bunch of those include not just the fatherless, but also the widow. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, the traveler, the one without a permanent home, the one who is an alien, giving him food and clothing. 
It says, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. We'll give you that last verse there for free. It says he executes justice in verse 18, which is to say that, that God's heart is justice for the orphan. God's heart is one of justice. He wants to right what is wrong. He wants to right what is wrong. Remember in Revelation we've talked about how vindication is something that we easily seek after as if we can achieve it. But it's something that really only God's judgment can bring in the ultimate, uh, in the ultimate sense. And so that's the kind of justice that he's seeking here. God's heart is justice for the orphan. Deuteronomy 14 is the next one we'll look at. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29. It says this, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, that was the uh, priest in the temple, and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and then it says, and the sojourner, the foreigner, the alien, the one without a home, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. God's heart here is demonstrated as a heart that wants to provide practical care. Practical care. If, if this is a God who, who comes and makes sure that they are filled because of the people of God helping to provide for that, that reveals his heart to us. God's heart is to provide practical care for the orphan. So he wants to provide a home. He seeks justice. And he wants to provide practical care. Let's also look at Romans 8, 15, and Ephesians 2. We're going to put these two together because they're... I couldn't decide. They're both cool verses. Romans 8, verses uh, 15 through 17. Very nice. <laughs> That's the beginning, yes. It'll get to 15 eventually. No sweat. Not the first, and it won't be the last. Chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, they say this. For you, meaning those who are children of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Underline that part or circle that part where it says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The theological uh, principle behind this is that we are made part of God's family because we were spiritual orphans. Let's also look at Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. It spells this out as well. A little bit different emphasis there, but Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. This was from the first sermon I ever preached, the one that I had 45 minutes for, but I preached for eight minutes. Remember that, some of you who have been around a while? <laughs> Ephesians 2, 
verses 12 and 13. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is before we were a part of the family of God. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We put together Romans 8 and Ephesians 2, and the truth of that is that God's heart is to be a father to the orphan that is you. We're going to contrast that with the last point here in just a second. But God's heart is to be a father to the orphan that is or was you. If you have a relationship with God, if you know him as father, then you were that orphan. God's heart is to be a father to the orphan that was you. Then finally, sort of the Magna Carta for uh, orphan care and adoption. James 1.27 is a great verse here. James 1.27 is the last verse we'll look at in our sort of topical study to expose God's heart here. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. That word religion there is a way for James of saying the, the spiritual work, your, the outgrowth and service, your worshipful service for God. So that's what he kind of means there by that word religion in the context of all of James. It says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. In other words, that is pure and undefiled, meaning it also reflects God's heart in purity. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The point we want to make here is that God's heart is to be a father to the orphan that is someone else. Now, if, if you've experienced coming to know Christ, then you know that transaction of having been an orphan and finding a sense of place and home and peace and comfort and safety. And if you've experienced that, if you know that, then you also know that all of that was given to you to be given away to someone else, just like it was given to you by someone else. It is really, really easy for us to let that transaction stop with having received those blessings from God and just get happy. Now I'm preaching to the choir. It's real easy to stop there and feel good and sort of get comfortable enjoying knowing God's my Father. God gave you your adoption as a son or daughter, as a part of His family for the purpose of of continuing the work of the Father who came to you in the first place. So God's heart is to be a father to the orphan that is someone else. Now, not everybody here <laughs> is going to be called to something like foster care or adoption. But we are all 
We are all called to participate in the work of making disciples who make disciples. We are all called to be a part of that work. And we can participate even in this foster and adoption care thing, this orphan care thing, in a whole myriad of ways that we'll suggest in a little bit here. But I want to just tell you a little bit about our journey that started about 12-ish years ago, um, about 12, 13 years ago. I started to notice in myself this just this little weird <laughs> soft spot for special needs kids. I just sort of started to see, see them everywhere. And I would watch a video or see somebody at church or, or be out and, and, and see a family that had adopted or had a special needs child. And uh, then I would begin to see families where <laughs> these white folks had this Asian or uh, African American or Hispanic baby with them. And this little kid or baby was calling, calling them mom and dad. And I would see that, and I would, that soft spot for me uh, developed <laughs> uh, into me becoming sort of this silly, blubbering, emotional, um, sort of this blubbering goober emotionally. I would see these kids, or I'd watch a video, and, and I would just lose it emotionally. And, and, and try to have to keep myself from just crying. About two and a half years ago, we read a book called Radical by David Platt, uh, my wife and I. And I know a few of you all uh, did the same. And, and we were talking in the car one time, and Dogney just sort of mentioned something about what would it look like to have sustainable radicality. <laughs> and she just sort of said it in passing. We talked about it for a little bit, and we moved on. Well, that phrase, sustainable radicality, became something that was a call for us in our marriage and in our home. And we started to seek, what, what Lord, do you want us to do as a family to just to continue to accept the call of making disciples? And uh, so a sustainable radicality became us um, making a deposit to try to see about uh, adopting a child. And we, we, we get into those meetings and find out we're, <laughs> we're one of the oldest couples and we've already got kids and most of those folks didn't, and they had lost children. And, uh, and so that didn't seem to be right for us. Um, and at that point, we made the transaction to, um, to thinking about foster care, which is something initially we way did not want to do. Um, so as it happened, we went through the sessions, uh, the classes to become uh, foster parents. And uh, then we went through the home study and... Uh, started getting calls um, to, to accept children in foster care and we had decided early on we couldn't take sibling groups of two or three or more uh, because of just the, the circumstances of our family. Um, so uh, one day, actually it was an evening, Friday night, January 1 of this year, uh, it was 10.57 p.m. and we got this call. I am with placement with the Department of Children's Services, and we have a child that we're trying to place. If you wouldn't mind giving me a call back, I would appreciate it. My number is 946-3425. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, don't call that. <laughs> uh, we, we, we heard that, 
And uh, I told Dagny, and it was like, Mama Bear jumped up. There's a baby out there somewhere that needs me, was sort of her response. And she started getting dressed, and I don't even think I'd called the lady yet. Um, but I called, and um, we had her on day seven. And uh, that's, how, that's how I started to know that God had confirmed for us this journey that started 12 to 15 years ago as this weird soft spot in my heart where um, I started to just sort of become this emotional goober about this, this one issue. We've had... We've had Emery since she was seven days old and uh, here she is a couple weeks ago. Um, a number of y'all have sort of asked uh, us to update you about what's going on. Um, they have terminated the parental rights and uh, we're... <laughs> Man, I needed more sleep last night. Um, we're moving toward adopting her. I tried to get this all out this morning and last night. <coughs> Here's what I know about not just this journey of adoption and foster care. Here's what I know about the Christian life. God leads those, the Holy Spirit leads those who are open and willing to being led. God leads those, the Holy Spirit leads those who are open and willing to being led. Now whatever it is, there is something God has for you to participate in His kingdom plan of making known His goodness and glory to people who do not know Him. And that includes little babies who are created with the command to be fruitful and multiplied just like you and I were. And so participating meaningfully in kingdom redemption and the plan of God for the world means opening one's heart and family and checkbook and one's talents up to God using them for the sake of His goodness and glory and not just our own. And so, and so, what am I called to do? What are you called to do? I can't answer that for you, but you have to ask yourself and you have to ask God what that question is. What's the next step of obedience for you? As it relates to adoption and foster care, there are tons and tons of things you can do creatively to be a part of this. You can pray that, that God will continue to, to build up uh, believers and, and bodies of believers like ours to become people who, like the early church, would go out to those places at the edge of town like the early Christians did and would accept and pick up babies that were rejected and were left to die. True story. When a baby was born in, in Rome, what would often happen is they'd be taken off to the edge of town, wherever that city was, and they'd be left to die or to be eaten by animals. Because what would happen is they'd be born and, and the man would stand before the baby, and if the baby looked weak, maybe he would say no. And they'd be left for dead on the edge of town. And it was believers, it was Christians, it was those who followed Christ who went to those places 
and started to accept those and become the fatherless, become the father to the fatherless. And that is the heart of God. That is the heart of God. So if you are, are not sure about your participation in that, I'm not saying you have to go to the edge of town and start grabbing babies, but if that's, but if that's the call, that's the call. And you're open and you're able and you're willing And pray that prayer and ask that question. Because what might just be a soft little thing initially, just a little emotional tug, may end up years later being a baby. Or a child who doesn't have a mom or dad, who's been in home after home after home after home, and doesn't have a place. The Holy Spirit guides those who are open to being led. I want you to ask that question for yourself, for your family, as it relates to being a father to the fatherless. Let's pray together.